Our scripture reading this morning comes from Colossians. Feel free to turn there in your Bibles as I read aloud Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, through chapter 2, verse 7. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, and we'll get into the word. Merciful God, just ask that you would be with us here as we walk our way through your word, which you've preserved for us. Just ask that you would allow it to go forth and work within all of our hearts. Help us to be able to internalize it, draw application from it, and uh, may you accomplish your purpose in it to your glory. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, we're still in Colossians. Thank you for the light there. And uh, I reread uh, the context of last week's passage. We went all the way from 123 through 25. This week we read 124 through 27. And as we looked at, as I looked at it, I felt like uh, those next two verses it, it, it made sense to include. And we focused last week on 24 through 29 and Paul and his ministry and some of the aspects of his ministry. And what we see this week, I titled Paul Labors in Love to Produce a Model Church. So last week we spoke of, and, uh, or spoke of, we you know, drew from God's Word uh, some of these aspects of Paul that made his ministry successful. And then now this week what we're going to talk about is what he's laboring in in order to produce a model church. And so we'll get right into it. Last week, just real quick in a, in a, a real recap, we saw in verse 25a the call upon Paul's life. And then in verse 24, we saw the joy and the struggle that ministry brings, but there was a goal. And in verse 26, we saw the goal of this joy and struggle was to see Christ manifested in them, in the Colossians, and maturity in Christ, which I think we can parallel these same goals for us. And we talked about our New Year's goals, and we talked about looking forward into what the church does. And, and, and ultimately, we, we would like God's Word to produce Christ in us. And then we want to mature in Christ how we attain that 
we saw that we do that by making the Word of God fully known and proclaiming Christ. And then the energy with which we do that is in verse 29. We toil. That word is, uh, uh, and the word struggle is the word agonize, agon, and, and, and the root of that word, it talks about, it's, it's an athletic term about with all this energy, leaving it, uh, you know, fully exhausted with maximum effort. And this comes from his energy working in, in us. So, we also saw last week, and I, I made a, a principle, that a minister of the gospel will suffer for the sake of the flock. A true shepherd and a true minister of the gospel will suffer for the sake of the flock. This week, we're going to continue to press on. We see in chapter 2, verse 1, we see the same word reused, the same word on agonize. Used again as Paul expresses his concern or his love for the Colossian church and those at Laodicea. You know, there are many qualities a pastor or minister or shepherd can possess, but one of the overriding, if not most important qualities in any minister must be a love for the church. You must have a love for the church. In Acts 20, 28, Paul speaks of caring for the flock and the church of God obtained with his own blood. And then also in Ephesians 5, 25, we see a command for husbands to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Both of those verses speak about the sacrifice that God made, that Christ made for the church. The bride of Christ is the church. So the value of this is immense. Now, we see Paul's heart condition in this as well, 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Philippians 1, 6 through 8, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This week's outline, uh, if you look at it, thankfully I have a copy in here because I left my, my uh, worship guide somewhere this morning. So we have four sections this week. If you look real quick there, we've got Paul's struggle and love, even in his absence. We'll unpack that first. And then there's three main sections. We see the purpose. So we have basically two. We have a that, a so that, and a therefore. And so when you look through Scripture, you can see these transitionary words. And so we'll see the purpose, the reason, and the command as Paul labors to produce a model church. Now, Paul has this struggle for the Colossian church and the Laodicean church, even though he had not seen them face to face. And it would seem, based on the context, that Paul had this ever burden that was present for the churches that he had established. But in this particular case, he had a burden even for this church, and he had not established it. He had not been there. Remember, Epaphras brought this word. So Paul has this second-level removed concern for the work of someone whom he had birthed, Epaphras. 
So I thought about this, and it came to my mind. And, and you know, my previous church I was at for 19 years. And I'm going to say something. And we have to be careful in the Christian church that we do not rely too heavily and only on proximity for true love and fellowship in the Spirit. I would have envisioned that there would be a higher degree of connectivity with certain people after being there 19 years. And I must say, to my own fault, as well as whoever else, the number of connections that I have made since leaving has not been as high as I would have envisioned. Which implies that maybe I was relying sometimes on relationship by proximity. Think about our gospel partners. The church, we have gospel partners, right? And so we pray for them and we put these cards together in order to help keep a tighter connection to their ministry so that we can direct our prayers accordingly. Think about what Paul is doing here. Paul is agonizing and toiling for this church, and he had not even been there. So I was also thinking about just a quick challenge at the beginning of this. Are there ministries or people in ministry that you are connected with, that you support, that you've invested in? When you get involved in these kinds of things, whether it's a missionary that you support or a particular ministry, when we invest in things, we tend to really take a lot greater interest in how things are going, don't we? If you go put money into it, you tend to check it. If we input time and money and or prayer into a ministry, we would tend to be more available for the support of that ministry. And I think this is a challenge we can take. Look at Paul's example here. Now, in this particular case, I believe that Paul is toiling and agonizing over the doctrinal opponents to the Christ-centered gospel. So he has this ongoing burden about people that are trying to knock people off of their path for Christ. So let's walk through it together. Paul's struggle was that their hearts may be encouraged. This word parakaleo means to call alongside. Call alongside could mean to entreat, appeal to, exhort, or comfort. Heart here is this term where we speak of, where we refer to the volitional, intellectual, and emotional being. This inner being, the center of life, or the centrality of our being. When you say something like, well, well, that really hurt my heart. Well, did it really hurt your heart or did it affect your emotions? You know, hurt your, you know, some things. So we equate these feelings, but it's real, isn't it? Because sometimes when something happens, you can feel your heart literally race or, or increase. But it starts with an emotional impact, right? So you've perceived a comment or you've perceived something that has hurt your feelings or created fear in us, and that, that translates to a physical impact. And we, the, the King James Version used the term bowels, right? You feel it inside. And so when we talk about our heart, a lot of times it's the central being of who we are. However, there's these different, the verses in the scripture talk about the heart, you know, in various ways. Let's talk about Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And Psalm 53, 1 says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt, doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. So there's this linkage between the mind and the heart. But when we fill our mind with biblical truth, it flows into influence and eventually controls our emotions. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Proverbs 23.19, Hear my son and be wise. Direct your heart in the way. Psalm 139.23-24, two verses very dear to me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139 is a great psalm. If you've never got on your knees and taken time to make those two verses your prayer, I would encourage you to do that and see how God provides. There's even a hymn based on those verses. In Matthew chapter 12, our Lord gave an example when he was chastising. He was chastising the Pharisees. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he connected what comes out of our mouth to our heart. We see examples in Scripture of work in the Spirit among the saints and brethren where strengthening and encouragement occur. Luke 22, 32, Peter's denial. But Jesus says, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 1532 in Acts. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. 1 Thessalonians 3.2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith. Now, As our hearts are encouraged, one of Paul's goals and hopes here is that their hearts are also knit together in love. Think about knitting. I think about many small stitches being put together to create a strong garment. And inside that garment is woven a tapestry of knowledge and different experiences. I think of the power of the Holy Spirit working inside the church, bringing people from all races and backgrounds, and walks of life together in Christ. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. The most unifying statement maybe ever written by a pen is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As we understand this and as God reveals himself to us and opens our minds and as we ascend to belief by faith, we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And it is this power that allows us to come together as a body united in Christ. To summarize this, we see Paul agonizing to connect the knowledge of Christ from head to heart and into love for each other. When believers strive to find unity in Christ, we display our love for the world. And that becomes a powerful witness. Philippians 1.27, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm with one mind, striving side by side for the faith 
for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. But we also know that this is not just of the mind. We lay down our lives and make sacrifices to help each other in practical ways with resources and time and service, walking in each other's shoes, if you will, or alongside each other. Everyone here has a different story. Your path is different than my path. And yet there are many shared experiences among us and similarities in the overall journey. As hard as yours or my experiences sometimes seem, God is many times prepping us for the good of others in the church. Just this last week in small group, there were, were uh, people sharing about their experiences and how their experiences, while painful when they went through it, had resulted in the benefit of another believer as they were able to better walk alongside them and care for them through that challenge. So God had shaped and equipped them for just that time. And then they had even shared about other believers at the women's night had shared some examples, and it was such an encouragement to them. This is knitting together. This is the knitting. To become a tapestry, a beautiful garment before the Lord of all of our different stories united through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. John, 1 John 3 says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. I picked that verse because not only does it speak of deed and truth, but it ends with this idea of being reassured. As we continue in verse 2, we see this heart encouragement being united in love leads us to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now I want to depart just briefly and read from the New American Standard Bible. I use the New American Standard a lot, and in this particular sentence, I like the structure and the word choice. I'm going to reread the first three verses here. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Here we see the NASB uses the term wealth instead of riches. Either way, both are emphasizing that there is great value and worth of having a full assurance and a full assurance of understanding 
and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wealth to me implies a higher degree of diversity, a depth to the sustenance. Maybe sometimes riches is kind of the glitzy stuff, right? You think of riches, you know, in Hollywood, the rich and the famous, and sometimes this gets equated to, to things and, and, and volume of things. Whether you use rich or wealth, what's trying to be conveyed here is this, this incredible worth. Can you think of anything of more value? I can't think of anything of more value than being assured that you know Jesus Christ. There is no amount of silver or gold that could ever displace the importance of being settled in the understanding of the existence of and confidence in your relationship with Christ. Full assurance. To be assured of something is to gain or have confidence. Sometimes people lack assurance in their faith. Am I saved? And with the onset of decisionism, techniques in the church associated with reciting a prayer or raising a hand on one side... There can be on the other side ideas of next level filling or experiences or, or things that need to be added to or trying to attain. And that can even lead the way to moralism, which can lead to legalism. And so on either side, you can wind up in an uncertain state if you are not careful, confused. Remember our study in 2 Peter? Chapter 1, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control. You know, we unpacked that a couple of weeks. And it goes on, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. First John, in verse John, chapter 4, over and over, he writes, By this we know, by this we know, that we abide in him and him in us. Specifically in chapter 5, he writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The word understanding refers to applying biblical principles to everyday life. Knowing truth and acting on it is what ultimately leads to full assurance of understanding. As we experience the application of knowledge into our actions and daily lives, we feel and see God work and we gain a deeper and deeper conviction of our standing in Him. The application and living of what we know, as well as the encouragement and strengthening within the body, and the giving and receiving of love among us, this leads to a greater knowledge of Christ and leads to the wealth of full assurance and understanding. Think about buying a computer program or at work upgrading to a new software package. A new software activity. You can read all about that. You can read the manual 10 times over. You can go to a training class. But I'm highly confident if your experience is anywhere remotely like mine, when you leave and you begin to use it, you start, uh, what did they say? I can't quite exactly remember. You know, do I go to this screen or how do I clear? How do I get back? 
And you find these corner cases or these irregular, you know, uh, examples. You maybe have to call for technical support. Maybe you have to form a users group where you can get together and talk about applications. You see, the use and application brings the assurance of understanding. As a matter of fact, to only read about it would never lead to a deeper knowledge of how to use it. And if never applied, it would only lead to a remnant of knowledge at some point. The application and gaining assurance and understanding then in turn leads to our results in a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This wording, true knowledge of God's mystery, could maybe be said as a settled conviction about Christ's deity and his sufficiency. Paul's desire and hope is that the churches would settle or have this true knowledge. I grew up on a ranch, and we used to have people that would build fence or work, or we would you know, uh, sell cattle, or we would do different things. And so I can remember my grandpa used to always say, we need to get together with, and settle up. Well, settle up meant, well, we need to find agreement. Pay for what's owed, get everything square. Think about negotiating a contract. You settle on the terms. I think this is how it is with our understanding of Jesus Christ. As we, as we come to this, we, we, we settle in at some point where we find this full assurance that Jesus is who he said he is. Before we know Christ, we might be looking at all kinds of different solutions for our needs. People look today to crystals, New age ideas, self-help, cult, culture. Here in Colossians, the Gnostics were trying to find higher and higher forms of spirituality. At the end of the day, all the systems that deny Christ's deity and his sufficiency. In the oil and gas industry, there's a term called wildcatting. This is where you drill speculative wells to attempt to see if there's oil there. You might have an idea or some evidence that it is there, but you still have to determine what level the oil's at, what type of formations are in there, the type of rock, the pressures at which there is gas or oil. Is the, is the gas wet? Meaning when we try to produce it, does it also produce oil? But the idea of wildcatting is you go drill a hole speculatively. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and um, you might drill a dry hole. And then you might drill another dry hole. And these are very expensive, costly searches. But maybe you drill something and you find something. Maybe it's not a huge gusher, but there's something. <clears throat> and then through some other evidence or seismographing, you, you decide you want to go target here. When you drive out west of Dallas, you'll drive through and you will see pump jack after pump jack after pump jack. It's called the Permian Basin. There's one in southwest Oklahoma called the Anadarko Basin. These are formations that produce tremendous amounts of oil and gas. And it takes years and years and years to produce the field. But that's not wildcatting. You know the oil is there. Many people may come wildcatting 
looking for truth and meaning in all kinds of places, religions, worldly treasures. But when we come to know Jesus Christ, we are no longer wildcatting for knowledge and wisdom. We find that in Christ is all knowledge and wisdom. It is the unlimited eternal reservoir of truth. As God reveals this to us, our faculties are awakened to this. We can spend the rest of our lives and into eternity mining truth and treasure from knowing more and more of Christ and God's Word bearing fruit into the lives of other people, impacting those here on this earth. And we proclaim this, trying to bring everyone we know to the same source we have found. If you found a huge oil field, wouldn't you tell all your friends? Are you telling all your friends about the reservoir of truth? that you've found in Christ? Paul wants this full assurance and understanding and settled knowledge of Jesus Christ to be manifest in us so that we stay true to the source of all truth. To the non-believer here today, he bids you come. Awake, awake, and see Christ for who he is. He is the truth, the way, and the life. If you have not come to him and believed on him, he is bidding you come now without delay put off all excuses come he bids you come if you are a believer he is bidding us to throw off any entanglements of this world tend to the loose ends that we may have in our beliefs settle and trust him repent of any known sin and stop searching in other fields for truth when we have the eternal reservoir of truth. Sometimes I wonder if God looks down and says, why do you continue to drill those empty wells? Why Paul agonizes over this, over seeing this understanding manifest in people, this is the so that of today's passage. So that in order that no one deludes you with plausible, the New American Standard says persuasive, and the NIV uses fine-sounding. So let's read it that way. That no one deludes you with plausible, persuasive, or fine-sounding arguments. These arguments will invariably form themselves into all kinds of subtle and not-so-subtle distraction from Christ's deity and His sufficiency. We will try to add to the gospel and make it Christ plus. Or someone will try to take from his deity and speak of him only as a good teacher or a prophet, but not the Lord. It comes from all angles and directions. And here in our text, even though not physically there, Paul is rejoicing to see the Colossians' good order and firmness. Other words would be discipline and stability of their faith in Christ. These terms are taken from military terms, such as a line of soldiers drawn up for battle. The other term is like a a formation. MacArthur sees this word structure describing the Colossians standing firm against the attacks from the false teachers. Beale elaborates and ties this order or discipline terminology to doctrinal order. 
So it's not just a physical battle where we set up the lines. We're, we're aligning a doctrinal line of defense, a formation of doctrine and truth, a battle line that ensures our faith will be stable against the attack. I right away thought about DJ leading our youth and the other men that are helping along with this, going through the confession of faith and the catechisms. They're drawing up battle lines and formations in the minds of our youth. Truth framed from God's word. So that when people come with these plausible or fine-sounding arguments, our children and youth will be able to follow in the way of Christ. Be grounded in God's word. Whether you're single, married, as a church... We focus on these things in order to protect ourselves against these attacks that come. And if you're a mom or you're a dad, you're drawing up battle lines and equipping your children with the truth of Scripture. And hopefully, they see you mining truth from God's Word, praying. And they also see you among the saints, knitting yourself together into a community here of believers, loving each other well, knitting ourselves together in love. Here's the final command from our text today. This is the therefore. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, well, I guess let's stop for a second. That's the most pressing question. Is Christ Jesus your Lord? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? He is the way, the truth, and the life. Do not delay. Seek him today. So walk in him. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. For those of us who believe, Paul is saying to orient our life around Jesus Christ. Walk in him. Everything about us should be impacted by Jesus Christ. You think about in Matthew, the verse says, go to make disciples. It really means as you are going. We think about in Acts, it says in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's three different locations. That's three different circles of influence. It's wherever we are. We should be about Jesus Christ. It's in our workplace. It's when we travel. In Matthew chapter 7, it says, ask, seek, knock in our prayer. That's asking, seeking, knocking. We should be constantly praying. 1 John 2, 6 says, Where he's, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. Rooted and built up in him. Think about a tree. The roots go down, they establish, and they, they find nutrients and, 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 and water in order to produce shade or fruit, depending on what the tree's purpose is. So we too should be digging into God's Word, mining and finding truths that nourish and strengthen. But also when we find these points in our life where we overcome, it's like driving, like, like think about rock climbing. You have to drive stakes into the rocks, right, so that you can tether and tie off. And, and as we have these experiences in our life, walking with the Lord, and, you know, these things tie off in our life. 
these become anchor points in our life where God showed up. And it's part of that settled understanding. And it's as, as the root system of a tree holds it in the, when the winds come, it's these tetherings into Christ and knitting as a community that hold us together when the attacks come. This word established in the faith, just as you were taught, it's kind of an outflow of that rooting. Think about establishing a yard or establishing landscaping, right? You plant it, you put it in there, you tend to it, you water it, you got to take care of it. But, but once, you've, once you've established it in its root system and, and it's in place, then it, it can stand up to drought and it can stand up to frost and it can stand up to these things. Chuck has done a lot of work in ministry on behalf of the government where you're trying to establish forms of government or establish institutions. Established is the outcome, something functioning, right? And, and resistant and can withstand the attack. So here we have for us, as we get our roots established, then we have this foundational strength to exist even in the presence of attack. Now, Lastly, the very last verse. All of that above. Taking all of that above. This amazing truth about Jesus. This ongoing and continuing deepening of our knowledge to reach assurance. And ultimately being established in Christ. But when we really, really, really think on it. We should abound in thanksgiving. For what he has done for us. Let us never lose sight that he died. He came, he died, and he rose that we may have life. And it is that truth that allows us to walk in our life with thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving as we go. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, we thank you for your word, that you have preserved it for us, and we thank you that you have loved us. We thank you for saving, for coming and dying. And Lord, we ask, I ask, I pray that anyone here today that does not know if they are in you, that they would come to you today. Save them. In Jesus' name, amen.